I invite you to remain standing as today we read from the prophet, or from the Old Testament, from the book of Nehemiah. I invite you to hear these holy words as we continue our series of sermons, concluding today with why United Methodist Christians give. Let us hear these holy words. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our soil and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree, year by year, to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the priest who ministered to the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our livestock, as is written in the law, and the firstlings of our herds and our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priest, to the chambers of the house of God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes that are our soil, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our rural towns. And the priest, the descendant of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes of the house of the God to the chambers of the storehouse. For the Israelites and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the storerooms where the vessels of the sanctuary are, and where the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are. We will not neglect the house of our God. This is the word of God for the people of God. We once again say a word of greeting to all of you this morning. We're certainly thankful for your presence today. We also welcome those in Harrisburg and Redfield and Waldron, as well as those in hospitals, nursing homes, and those who are homebound as well. We're grateful for your presence. Now, for those in the sanctuary, I want to encourage you after our service of worship in the SCARTA Gathering Hall, there are those annual blue bags that we provide for you to pick up and take with you to have instruction on the outside of what items to put in those bags for Thanksgiving meals for those who are in need and the date in which to return that. I hope on your way out, the ministers will be out there. We hope that you'll come by and greet us and swing by the table that will be close to us to pick up one of those bags, to fill it with the appropriate items and then bring it on that respective day. And we'll make sure that those who are without will receive. That's what it means to give. That's who we are. And we'll make sure that that happens. So we invite you to take advantage of that opportunity. We also, of course, want to remember what is going on in Israel right now between the Israelis and Hamas, the constant fighting, and now it has escalated to a new low, uh, the suffering. But we also have to remember there is a war in Ukraine as well that has now gone on for a year and a half. It is amazing to me to think that there are this many people in the world have such a disregard for innocent life, but it's out there, and we all know that. We've lived long enough to realize that. So we continue to pray for those who are in the line of suffering, those who in any way are contributing to the suffering and those who are in the process of experiencing it. We have a lot to pray for. We're going to be a people who do just that. We encourage you to do so. We're thankful for your presence. Why do United Methodists give? One of the most famous and favorite topics of any church, I assert. Let us pray. O Lord, in the silence of this moment, prepare our hearts and our minds to hear your word for us this day and work your will in our lives. Amen. Now, I'm going to give you a quick exhaustive list 
of some of the, not exhaustive list, of some of the things that have happened this past week at Pulaski Heights United Methodist Church. Much of what happens here does not happen on a weekly basis, but happens monthly or bi-monthly or quarterly, whatever it may be. But there is a lot that takes place on a daily basis. I want to list just a few of those that happened this past week alone. We had children's choir rehearsal, and we had choir rehearsal, and we had band rehearsals and practice for those who were a part of our modern worship. We had Wednesday evening children programming. We had four worship services, two in the sanctuary and two in Wesley Hall. We had Sunday school classes for all ages, from those who were born just a matter of days ago to those who were over 100 years of age. We had confirmation and we had youth activities and we've had book studies this past week and many hospital visits and funerals and senior adult programming and counseling for those who are having marital problems and counseling for those who are getting married. And we've had a huge diaper drive where tens of thousands of diapers were collected and we have distributed food to hundreds and hundreds of people who are hungry and we've had multiple Bible studies and we have provided meals for our members and created a sense of community where people feel a longing to belong. We have had numerous committee meetings, and we've had a variety of small groups, and we have had tutoring at Wakefield Elementary School for children who are learning to read to a higher degree. We have had a senior adult trip to Crystal Bridges and back, despite the fact that they had a major blowout on the bus. They still returned safely. We have had multiple exercise classes. We have provided for body, mind, and soul all this past week. There is a lot that goes on at Pulaski Heights United Methodist Church that even I don't know about on a regular basis. We have continual ministries where, for example, our Stephen ministers continually meet with those whom they are caring for and loving on. And those are the kinds of ministries that constantly define who we are as a church. There is a lot that happens at Pulaski Heights United Methodist Church every single day, seven days a week. And it is because you give. The list goes on and on. Lives are continually shaped and reshaped and reborn because of your generosity. A long time ago, the Israelites had been exiled. They had been unfaithful to God, and God said, I've had enough. I've warned you repeatedly, and now is the time. And God dispersed the Israelites. They no longer had a home they no longer had a foundation in Jerusalem. They were all over the place for decades. And then finally, they are invited to return to Jerusalem. But it is devastated. It has been destroyed. The wall has been torn down, which was the symbol of security and safety. And Ezra and Nehemiah and others decide, we have been invited back by God. We've got to do something about this. So they start rebuilding Jerusalem, and they rebuild the wall. This sign of safety and security was now once again in place. But the Israelite people recognized, of course, that the reason they had been dispersed, the reason they had been placed in exile is because they had been extraordinarily unfaithful to God. And so they, as a nation, repent. 
They have a ritual, a service, where every Israelite is to get on one's knees and pray to God and seek to be forgiven and repent of the collective sin of the people. And then after that, they're given instruction about what they are to do next. And what they are to do next is to always put God first. We have seen, say the Israelites, what it is like to discount or to discard God And now we recognize how God has blessed us and what we are to do with those blessings when we always put God first. So they start talking about it, and I read a portion of it. They give their first fruits. That is, they give their very best crop. They give their very best animals. They give their money. They give their time, their energy, and their effort, all of their resources. The very best that they have to give, they always give to God first. And they say, we will not neglect the house of our God. That is, we are never again, said those people, going to put ourselves in a position where we don't do what we're supposed to do to be in a right relationship with our God. Now, that's important to think about, particularly in the world in which we live today, where we are becoming less and less of a Christian nation. We know the church is losing its influence, that there are fewer and fewer people coming to Jesus Christ, and that is on our watch. And it is our responsibility to be the church in such a way that people long to know what it is about us that makes such a difference in our lives that we are willing to be generous with what it is God has given us and share that with other people. That's why United Methodist Christians give, because we have to. We don't have any other choice. We want to. We need to. It is a part of the makeup of who we are to be generous people, because we know when we are generous, someone benefits. And when we are miserly, someone goes without. So we do our part. Now, think about this. Just the United Methodist Church in general, not this specific congregation, but in general, over the centuries has built countless hospitals and schools and colleges and universities and children's homes and homeless shelters and camps and disaster relief programs all over the world. And that is not to mention what United Methodist churches do in each of these respective local churches. Small, little bitty churches, mega United Methodist churches, and everybody in between providing the needs for the needs of the community. Little bitty churches who have food banks and pass out food. Mega churches who have full-time staff people reaching out in the community and doing all kinds of things to make a difference in the lives of people. That is all because United Methodists know deep down within the core of who they are, that you're supposed to be generous because everything that we possess ultimately is not ours. It comes from God. The Israelites finally realized that. This isn't ours to begin with. We wouldn't have a crop if it weren't for God. We wouldn't have cattle if it weren't for God. We wouldn't have the blessings in life if it weren't for God. So the least we can do is give a portion back to the one who gave it to us to begin with. When I was working on my doctorate, there were a group of young men from Africa who were in my program. And one day we toured these large United Methodist churches and churches of other denominations in the Dallas area as a part of our program. And when we got back, 
the, one of the African ministers was crying. He said, first of all, you think you have mega churches here when you have 10,000 members. Our average church in our community has 40,000 members. So they kind of look down on us like you think you're somebody. You ain't nothing. But what was more interesting is that they said this. We have discovered in looking at your churches that you are cursed with prosperity. Your greatest curse is your greatest blessing. You build these grand structures that house these people. What do you do for the poor? We meet under tents. We meet out in the hot sun. And we use everything we have because everything is everyone's. And we make sure everyone is provided. What do you do? Your greatest blessing is your greatest curse. You know, he's right. We are an affluent people compared to much of the world. We all know that. We compare our affluence with other people, and sometimes we don't measure up. But the truth of the matter is, if you compare our affluence with the majority of the world, we're doing quite well. And that can be a curse. Because we've become more concerned about hanging on to what we have than recognizing our responsibility to give it away. Someone once said, when one becomes wealthy and not necessarily with lots and lots of money. But when one becomes wealthy, God either gains a fortune or loses a soul. It's one or the other. So what United Methodist Christians recognize is it's our responsibility to take what we have and use it for the greater good. A portion of that, most of it we get to keep. But part of it we're to give away. You think about it. When you go to a hospital, if you go into the emergency room and there's some kind of need there and they say, listen, we've got some medicine, but it's ours. We're not going to give it to you. It's ours. You're going to leave that hospital right away and find some other place. If you go to a grocery store and you walk in and you say, mmm, that deli looks good and that bakery looks great and I'm going to go get some items. And they say, oh, oh, oh excuse me, time out. This is our bakery and this is our deli. Go somewhere else you would be appalled. If your money were in a bank and the bank called you one day and said, I know you made this great big deposit and we appreciate that very much, but you know, it's our bank. It's our money. You'd be furious. We recognize that hospitals have a responsibility for the greater good of the community, as do grocery stores and banks. They keep within their possession those things that benefit the community but they also share them for the greater good. They make it accessible for us to be able to feed our family or make our family well or have the resources to pay our mortgage or whatever it may be. They hold on to it, but they give it away. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ from a generous standpoint. God has given all of this. We don't say, mm-mm, it's mine. Listen, nope. I'm keeping it all to myself. Our responsibility is to hang on to it and then give it away for the greater good of the community. The Psalms say the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The prophet Haggai said from the mouth of God, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord. And Jesus himself says in the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, to those who have been given much, much is required. 
We know that as United Methodist Christians, our responsibility is to give. We give our money, we give our time, we give our energy, we give our effort, we give our resources. All of that goes hand in hand with being a follower of Jesus Christ. And if we're not doing it, I'm not sure we have a right to boast about following Jesus, at least not very well. So what we do in the life of the church is that we try to, with your financial support and with your time and your energy and your efforts, take care of one's body, mind, and soul. Think about it. All the things, we have everything from exercise programs for the body to making sure people have food for the body, to make sure that a small little child has a clean diaper to wear for the body. We provide all kinds of small groups and opportunities to build relationships, and we have all kinds of meals where people gather together in fellowship, and we do all of those kinds of things so people understand that they matter. In the mind, they need to know, I count. And we have all kinds of opportunities from worship to Bible studies to small group book studies and everything else for one's soul to learn about who one is and to whom it is we belong. We are concerned about body, mind, and soul. And the only way we do that is through your generosity or we're parched, we're dried up. We atrophy as a church and that can never happen. There are enough people in the world right now who say the church is irrelevant. What difference does it make? But I'm telling you, if the church were to cease to be today, the level of suffering in the world would skyrocket. Now think about this for a moment. If we as the church of Jesus Christ do not share the good news of Jesus Christ, who will? That's on us. If the church of Jesus Christ does not provide for the needs of the world to reach children, youth, and adults and let them know about the power of God's grace, then who will? If we don't provide fellowship for all who come into this holy place, who will? If we don't take care of the homeless and the hungry, who will? And people say to me all the time, well, let the homeless shelter take care of them and feed them. How do you think those homeless shelters survive? They survive on the generosity of churches. There are so many different ways in which we do so much good. If we did not have a chance to collectively worship our God, to be together with those we love, and to raise our Lord above all else in life, I'm telling you the world will go to hell in a matter of minutes. All of that is on us. And the only way we accomplish any of this is for all of us to be generous. It goes hand in hand with claiming to be a follower of Jesus Christ. There's no way around it. There aren't enough excuses, and we've all used them. I've used them as well. And they don't hold up in the eyes of God. A $1 bill was talking to a $100 bill. This is a true story, by the way. And the $1 bill said to the $100 bill, what have you been doing lately? And he said, oh my gosh, I've been doing all kinds of things. I've been on one cruise after another. I've been in so many different casinos. I've been in the finest restaurants in the world. And then the $100 bill asked the $1 bill, what have you been doing? He said, oh, same old thing, church, church, church. Some people feel like a dollar's enough. They've contributed. 
We can never be stingy with God because God is never stingy with us. We can never shortchange our Lord because our Lord never shortchanges us. And people live that way all the time and believe it's acceptable. I love the story of Sam Houston when Sam Houston, who was a rough cob, rough as a cob for sure, most of his life was baptized. He came up out of the water. And then after that, he made an immediate promise. I'm going to pay half of my pastor's salary for the next several years. Well, people were stunned by that. And someone asked him, why would you pay half of your pastor's salary for the next several years? And he said, well, didn't baptism change me? I'm a changed man. Not only was I baptized, but my pocketbook was baptized as well. That makes everything different, right? And they said, yes. So if you're feeling inspired by the Holy Spirit to pay half of your pastor's salary, <laughs> you get the point. If you're a baptized believer in Jesus Christ, you're generous. You have to be. There's no choice. It's who you are. That's why United Methodist Christians give, because we know that the money we give is used with integrity to provide for those who have needs, and the needs of the world are continual. They don't ever end. We never have gotten to a point where we've said, listen, we've given all the diapers we give, and all those children are taken care of from now on. Guess what? They need another diaper and they need another, and they need another. And someone comes along and we say, listen, we've given you all the food you can possibly eat. Everything's good. Blessings on you for the rest of your life. Guess what? In a few days, they're hungry all over again. There are people out there who are suffering in so many different ways, and it is the church of Jesus Christ who meets those needs. There are people suffering spiritually. There are people who are suffering relationally. There are people who are suffering emotionally, and it's on us to do something about it. So it is inexcusable and it is unjustifiable that a pastor would ever have to stand up and say to a congregation, you all got to do better. We're not doing well. Things are tight. Please be extra generous. We don't be extra generous. We just are generous. I remember reading an article now 23 years ago. And I remember it because it was in the year 2000. And I remember it because of the extraordinary story. At St. Mary's United Methodist Church in Georgia, a 350-member congregation that had a $285,000 a year budget received a gift from a man who died who was not even a member of the church. The gift totaled $60 million. He watched that little church on television. And all of a sudden, the church, this little bitty congregation, has $60 million. And the pastor was quoted as saying, my greatest fear is that we're going to forget what it means to be a church because we now have so much. So you know what they did as the years went by? I kept up with that church. You can read about them online. I kept up with that church. They formed a committee, United Methodists. That would be a great sermon. Why United Methodists have so many darn committees, right? Well, we know that. So I don't need to preach on that because everybody knows that already. They formed a committee, a group, an oversight group. 
And they said, we'll keep a small portion for our church. But, the most, but most of this money, we need to give away. Can you imagine that? That's brilliant. They recognized in order to be the church of Jesus Christ, they didn't say, that's my money. They said, it's the world's. It belongs to everybody. And if we're going to be the church we're called to be, we're going to give it away so that we can alleviate suffering, so that we can bring people who are in the midst of darkness into the light of the world we call Jesus Christ and everything in between. What a brilliant move. What a generous congregation. And that's who we are. Why do United Methodists give? That's who we are. It defines us. So I encourage you to think about what it is you give. Can you do more? Are you doing what you ought to be doing? I think all of us have to examine our life and recognize we follow Jesus Christ. He called us into the world as fallible and as imperfect as we are to be his hands and feet and his mouthpiece for everyone else. So we do it because we have no choice As we've said before, we are generous. Not because we have to be, but by golly, because we have to be. Hallelujah. Amen.